Recorded during the plague year of 2020, this is the Andromeda Minute, a show where Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays we go over one minute of Robert Wise's all-too-timely uh, techno-thriller, The Andromeda Strain, one minute of screen time per episode. I'm one of your hosts, uh, Jim O'Kane of TVDads.com. I'm Father David Mowry, chaplain of the Movies by Minutes community. And I feel like I've had uh, my imprimatur of... Uh, <laughs> Of this show now, having you on. Let me David, get out the let me get out the papal bull. Uh, by okay. decree of Pope Francis, <laughs> we are all set. Yes. So, uh, so uh, great having you on the show. Thanks again for being on. Uh, and uh, we've got some really uh, juicy, icky, kind of just squirmy minutes coming up this week. So thanks for really being on this particular stretch of the show. Thank you so much for having me. You know, Jim, I had to laugh when you said that uh, this is always timely. Certainly in terms of content the andromeda strain is very of the moment but this is also one of the most 1970s movies that i have ever seen oh yeah yeah they, they they're that they're not all doing listening to disco music while this is going on it's beyond me but yeah there's there's lots of enjoyable stuff in here and you are a, you are a student of sci-fi films especially i think you you've kind of focused on the 70s i think they, that you find a particular enjoyment in, at least from what i've heard as as a as a kid, I was very much enamored by Star Wars, which, as as any pedantic science fiction nerd like me will tell you, isn't actually science fiction. It's space opera. The technology takes a backseat to the narrative in Star Wars. How does the hyperdrive work? Who cares? It gets us to Alderaan or what's left of Alderaan. How is the Death Star able to blow up planets? Who cares? It can. That's all that matters. Uh, Andromeda Strain, as a work of science fiction, is all about the science, uh, which is something that's always fascinating to me. I always struggled in science classes when I was in high school, and it took the Andromeda Strain as a novel that uh, we read in... Um, Oh, wait, let me take that again. Um, it took actually watching this movie in my biology class in my freshman year of high school to actually get me interested in science because all of a sudden there was a narrative. There was, I could see the physical process for these things that then the, the grinding meticulousness of the scientific process in order to arrive at a solution for things. And that's the real value of science fiction. It's able to first take something that can seem a little abstract, something that's kind of hard to get your mind around in terms of heavy-duty scientific concepts and present them in a narrative format because everyone loves a story. Everyone enjoys a beginning and a middle and an end. And if you're able to present any material in that story form, it's able to stick with people a lot better. And the second thing I love about science fiction is the imaginative quality of it. Okay, if this is the state of science now, where could we be in 20, 50, 100 years? What is possible given what we know theoretically and practically about science going forward? And the quarantine procedures that they follow at wildfire certainly are evidence of that, you know, with the xenon lamp and the, uh, <laughs> the plugs <laughs> that they got to do in order to take care of their GI tract. All of that is, is that uh, imagining and, and playing out the current science into what could a high-tech government lab dedicated to controlling super infectious diseases do. And you know, those aspects, you know, the narrative aspect and the imaginative aspect of science fiction have always hooked me. 
Yeah, it would have been a bigger disappointment to them back back 50 years ago when this movie was made if they found out in the future we wouldn't be using xenon lamps and burning off the outer layer of our skin. <laughs> but but you have to sing happy birthday while you're washing your hands in the sink. That's, that's just, It doesn't seem as very futuristic as we were hoping. Look, um, I'm still disappointed we have no jetpacks. Let's be yes, honest. I agree. I agree. You know, as, as someone who did the Rocketeer, I, I just, <laughs> it's, it's very, very tragic. Although as we're recording this, there seems to be some fellow that's flying over LAX in an unauthorized jetpack. So there's always hope for the future. Some, somewhere somebody's working on that. Yeah, when the science gets to the point where someone's breaking the law using it, then then we're in business. Yes. Wow. Well, uh, in, in this particular minute, we're, we're starting with uh, a doctor gently shaking, shaking a head of some guy who's obviously had some kind of trauma. And it's really, I, I don't think I'd do that as a doctor, but you know, he's, he's an MD and you gotta, you gotta trust, trust the man behind the letters. Um, and uh, gosh, there's all just kinds of terrible things going on. There's a, there's a, a baby who has to scream through this whole thing. Um, it's worse than, uh, it really has the Jan Brady role in this, because if you watch every episode of Brady Bunch, Jan's crying, mm. and this baby spends <laughs> most of this movie crying. Um, and um. Uh, uh, they use a, a line that I'm sure... <laughs> I'm sure you've heard many times. They can tell you're a bachelor. Uh, <laughs> it, it, it's it, it's uh, just really uh, awkward watching watching this fellow who yeah, the actor obviously has to wait for the baby to cry so they can get the right take. So right. He, ha- he has to probably do things to get the baby all jazzed up and upset. Well, it's, even before we get to the baby, I I just I find it so funny that Doctor Hall decides to shake Mr. Jackson's head. By the temples. Yeah. And, well, and, there's no I, no good solid grips. I mean, they probably couldn't, with those rubber gloves, he couldn't grab the ears. Uh, enough. <laughs> hey! Uh, <laughs> and, you know, and, well, I've, it's it's a testament, I guess, to his bedside matter. He doesn't slap him on the side of the face. <laughs> yes. Wake up, you old man! Uh, I I know you you did a uh, hospital work. Uh, <laughs> basically, if you, left, if you found somebody in that position, would you just kind of leave them, even though my... <laughs> Sign yeah. this. Fortunately, a... fortunately, as the chaplain, your job is pretty easy. Yeah. When I, if I would walk into somebody's room and they were asleep, I would I'd get out my little stack of note cards saying, "Oh, you know, the the spiritual care team came to visit you today at the fill-in time. Sorry, we missed you. Give us a call if you need anything. You just leave the little card next to their bed and you tiptoe as quietly as possible because then once you've left the note, you can't wake the person up because that's always the most awkward moment for the person to wake up. Like, oh, you're awake. Let me just hide this note real quick. Like, hey, how are you? Whereas, yeah, for people like Dr. Hall or the nurses, they have to interact with the patient in order to make sure they're getting the care that they need. So there's the constant check-ins that patients will complain about from nurses because the nurses are required to come in and make sure the patient's still alive. And so that includes at three o'clock in the morning and regular check-ins throughout the night. And often when I would come by as a hospital chaplain, it was usually about, oh, you know, 11 o'clock in the morning and people were just zonked out because they haven't slept all the way through the night. And, you know, with, with someone like, you know, this particular patient that we've got in the minute, uh, if they were just that unresponsive and uh, not responding to name or to touch even as a yeah. chaplain, I just, okay, I'm done. Check that name off my list. Go on to the next room. Oh, look, this wow. room has a crying baby in it. Oh, interesting. 
<laughs> I, I get the strong feeling from Hall, although he's, you know, he's there because he's the tops in the medical field. I get the feeling as a surgeon, he just doesn't see many conscious customers. He's he mostly just, he'll see them as he's holding up his hands and the uh, anesthesiologist is about to slap the mask on them. Say, hi, we're gonna, we'll see you on the other side of this appendix removal. Um, yeah, I don't know what the, the common procedure was for surgeons in the, the late 60s, early 70s, because the couple surgeries I've had, uh, the surgeon would come in to see me uh, while I'm getting prepped for surgery. How you doing, Father? Oh, I'm, I'm doing fine. Okay, great. Well, it's, it's going to be a great day. This is what we're going to do. All right, well, I'll, I'll see you later. And then you know, I just completely go under. <laughs> and then in the recovery room, surgeon comes around again. How you doing? You feeling okay? Okay, great. Now I got to get another surgery. I'll see you later. And I don't know if that kind of bedside manner was typical in the, the 60s and 70s. Um, yeah, I, I I I did not have any surgeries back then, but I I had assumed um, my dad had a couple of back surgeries, but he knew his surgeon mm-hmm. uh, offline, and it would kind of like they you know they they'd see each other, and then he'd see him in the in the recovery rooms. But it just the, the whole manner here, it seems like he was more of a research guy. It's like here's a better procedure, here's here's what I do, and when they you know when they were awake, it was somebody else's problem. Right. So he might just be trying to learn on the job here. <laughs> Is he, is, is he like the the top class uh, luxury surgeon who just comes flying into town to do the the three hour surgery and then has to jet off to Boston to do you know the 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 heart surgery there and then jets off to L A in order to do the uh, you know the double kidney transplant or whatever uh, yeah there. yeah he yeah I think I think he's you know he's not quite in People magazine but he's up there mm. and he's probably you know dating some uh, Hollywood supermodel or something and in between he's just oh yeah I got to go see this patient. But here he he signed up for something where they send him a send him a stipend every month for uh, for being part of this government project. They they send him things about something about an atom bomb built in the basement. And he's like, I don't need to read this. It's got nothing to do with what I do for a living. And odd man out. No man, I'm way in. I don't need to be the odd man out. Yeah, so, I, uh, uh, yeah. His reputation like that that idea would make a lot of sense of his interchange with uh, Ruth, with Dr. Levitt earlier in the movie, we're having to worship him from afar. So that, that speaks to the vaunted reputation this guy has, but he has so much difficulty first with this old man and then with this baby. Yeah. This baby who just won't stop crying. Now I'm, I'm sure in your, in your many duties as administering the sacraments, one of your common ones of, of having a baptism on Sundays, you must have dealt with lots of uh, screaming little children and trying to calm them down so they can hear you over the microphone. <laughs> it's, um, you know, it's, uh, babies are going to cry. Uh, that's just what happens. Rare is the baptism where when the water gets poured over the kid's head, the kid doesn't burst out crying. I was at two different parishes and at each, we would have heated water in the baptismal font in order to take uh-huh. away some of the, the cold water shock factor. Oh, clever. Uh, it didn't work. It didn't work at all. <laughs> the, <laughs> the kids were still so surprised. Uh, and my favorite was uh, this uh, little little baby girl, Jennifer, who after I poured the water on her head, her head whipped to look me. And there are these eyes that spoke of the deep betrayal <laughs> that I had affected in this moment. How could you do this? I trust in you. <laughs> but I'm so sorry. It's just the sacrament, Jennifer. It's what I'm supposed to do. I hope we can be friends later. <laughs> Oh wow! I, I I was I was at one a few years ago, quite memorable. Where uh, the uh, the priest brought brought the baby. We had the uh, the baptismal font was in the front of the church, and and as the uh, they 
processed back into the by the altar the baby uh the priest held up the baby as as is his want and he held the baby over his head and you know this is uh jeffrey so-and-so and as he held him up apparently the baby had exhaled and the diaper dropped to the floor underneath him out of the <laughs> oh, <laughs> so, no here he was oh, in all no. his glory I, I was thinking somewhere somebody has baptismal <laughs> pictures that will turn up at their senior prom <laughs> <laughs> one can only hope yes yes yeah, so, i always advise my students here at the seminary do not recreate the lion king when you are performing a <laughs> baptism Always cradle the child if you ever have to hold it. I recommend just not holding the child at all. Let the parents handle the child. Mom will be much more comfortable that way anyway. Delegate, delegate. That's the way Absolutely. to do it. Absolutely. Yeah. Wow. Um, and we get back to, uh, gosh, we, uh, we're we getting to, uh, the, I, yeah, as, as, as a parent, I have, I, I can't, I, I keep wondering on the, on the production side of this, the, uh, you know, the stage mom or somebody that, has you know that brought this kid in and they they were they picked this kid out because he can cry very well oh yeah and i keep thinking about the stage mom uh with the director turning can you get that baby to cry now could you get some and i just what a horrible horrible thing somewhere somewhere there's a 50 year old actor who has uh, terrible childhood memories not, not understanding why he doesn't like you know fish bowls or or uh, tongue depressors it's mm-hmm. uh it, it it, it just it this really hurts me seeing you know you do so much to keep your kid from crying right here cry more well sometimes it's medically advantageous to have the kid cry i have a friend who uh works at the children's hospital one of the children's hospitals here in chicago and she would tell me stories about how the the NICU the that is the neonatal oh, yeah. icu nurses sometimes would have to get the kids to cry in order to check their lung capacity to make sure that they were breathing well enough. And so those nurses have no qualms giving that kid a big old pinch Ugh. in order to get to cry, which, yeah, which is upsetting to us, but, you know, to my friend who was a nurse who went into this profession in order to help sick people recognize that sometimes the crying baby is the only way you're going to be able to understand what's actually wrong with him, which might be a lesson for later <laughs> in this movie. Ooh, mm-hmm. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> foreshadowing foreshadowing uh wow and uh we yeah uh, and, and there almost looks like in this scene right before the tongue depressor goes into the baby's mouth the baby looks like okay maybe everything is actually fine i'm okay and then this big piece piece of you know fibrous junk gets put in his mouth like oh what is this oh no i hate it i'll make it stop oh gosh uh, well hopefully it was very hopefully the kid was a day player and was only in for you know a couple of quick <laughs> scenes and they did some recording they could drop in his adr and Maybe he's not crying as much as they're they're overlaying, but uh, we, one one can only hope. I uh, this this brought me back thirty years ago. My daughter was born and she had a high bilirubin level, which it, you know, causes jaundice. Oh my! And normally, there's a very simple cure for that. You take your kid, you put him outside in the sunshine, and the vitamin D. Your body starts working for making vitamin D, and the bilirubin just goes away. Mm. So huh. unfortunately, she got born on the rainiest week of rainiest week in August in Virginia, oh, and the sun wow. was not out. So we had to take her in every day back to the hospital, and they stick her under her sun lamps like she was a potted palm. <laughs> and uh, she she did that for an hour, and then they'd take her out and they'd stab her in the in the uh, <gasps> heel Ooh. to get a couple of drops of blood to find out what her bilirubin level is. And Every time they turned on the light, she started to learn that this is, I'm going to get stabbed. Wait, when this I is know over. what happens after this. <laughs> and it was just, I mean, she could have, she could have applied for the, if they ever did the remake at the time, she could have done the job just by turning on the light and just <laughs> screaming ah! her head off. Uh, 
So anyway, I just I try to get rid of all these triggering things, but this is a tough, <laughs> tough minute for Daddy, um, and that, that's why she works in a photographic dark room to this very day. Yeah, you no, know, you can't turn the light on in her room. It's like, leave me alone. Sunglasses, the whole works. Uh, hopefully, the trauma is <laughs> the trauma's over after a couple of decades. But yeah, it's uh, it's good. I I don't know what that machine is that. Um, that Paula Kelly, uh, Karen Anson, Nurse Karen Anson, is is standing in front of, but I want one. I just want want to have in my in my room. Oh, it just has so many dials. It has knobs and, and gauges, and mm-hmm. who knows? I mean, I'm assuming that it's just like the volume control of how how much the baby's screaming. It's measuring that. And you can fine tune that out the wazoo. <laughs> yes, it's uh, yeah, it's it's very, like you said, it's very 70s. It looks like a, a Marantz stereo, maybe from the from the time. <laughs> Now, um, how yeah, how much of the medical equipment that we see in the movie was was something they had to kit bash together? I mean, how much of this is based off of actual medical equipment, and how much of this is like, well, we need like a needle that goes back and forth. So, get one of those like amperage monitors, and we'll just shoot from far enough away you can't tell what the actual measurements are. From what I've been looking at, uh, Perkin Elmer and um, oh, now I can't remember the name of the medical company. There's a medical supply company. I think it ends in Hill. It might be A B Hill. I there it's written on all their all their those beds that go up and down and things. Yeah. Um a lot of it was donated or you know kind of product placement. So this may be oh. this may be an actual piece of Perkin Elmer uh, lab equipment that tests I don't know blood or spectroscope or who knows. Yeah, but they 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 got a, a bunch of uh, a bunch of science companies to donate stuff, but think things like that uh that stainless steel uh console and stuff that's a product of the Universal Studios uh, prop shop. Yeah, I just uh, I know you, the mention of product placement in this movie just makes me laugh. You know, this is for all the hospital administrators who are coming to see the Andromeda Star in 1971. Ooh, look, look at this piece of diagnostic equipment. That really gets the blood pumping, doesn't it? <laughs> we need some of those infusers. Yeah. Oh, look at that. Wow, yeah. Look at that. Yeah. Where can we get some of the fishbowl head? I, I want more niche marketing product placement in movies i yes. want to be totally ignorant but i want someone who's in the know next to me saying wow look at that oh my gosh that's so cool uh, yeah you know i was surprised, like i was thinking about caddyshack doesn't really have any gear that you know you'd think that they'd have ping golf oh, clubs oh yeah things, you're right they they missed all i mean they had you know rodney dangerfield's thing but if they had really sold something like his golf bag it would have been perfect um, oh that would have required them to actually you know plan when they were yeah. making caddyshack which wasn't really their thing true true it's, or off the cuff but i guess this <laughs> yeah. is a, this is a less off the cuff oh uh, yeah but... i would say so they definitely had some planning going into this movie uh, i still my you know as we live in the age of masks and wearing glasses and things um, I, wa- I keep wondering what it is they did to keep the insides of those fishbowl helmets from fogging up. There must be like a blower, a constant air going through mm-hmm. there because I can't, I, I am a, I am, I've gone from reading glasses to mandatory glasses. And every time I put on my, uh, my Yosemite Sam uh, kerchief, uh, <laughs> my glasses completely fog over. So I'm, I'm very impressed by their lack of, uh, uh, of fog in any of these things. I guess the the design of those suits would make that pretty easy. You would be able to set up uh, an exhaust fan at the far end of the, you know, curtain that you're attached to. Yeah, but getting it to blow around up up near the oh, nose. Near the that, nose that's yeah. what I, I ponder. I, I'm thinking there might be there might be a hose underneath or from the back or it's just it's mm-hmm. it's, it's fascinating to me just from a from a practical standpoint how they uh, how they do that or uh 
not suffocating their actors too is probably a good, right. a good idea. Yeah, that is good. And that's how you can tell that this is a science fiction movie versus a science fiction horror movie because of course in the horror movie we would see the breath of people on the fishbowl because that that way we can tell how nervous they are. Yeah, and uh, as we learned from Alien, it, it's more important when you're wearing a spacesuit like that that you have to have uh, very bright lamps facing your facing, you know, pointing at their faces so that mm-hmm. they're they're well lit in, oh, the, of course. in the head area. Uh, that's, that's what you want when you're you know, on a dark planet. But here we, here we are. In the U.S. government was willing to shell out millions of dollars, but the face lighting in the medical suits, no, that was right out. we got to strike that right from the budget. <laughs> got to cut corners where we can on this wildfire project. Yeah, you, wanna, you always want a low bid in an in <laughs> alien invasion. Wow. Well, uh, this has been a, a fascinating little, you know, little bit queasy minute, but we're going to get into much queasier minutes in, in the nearby future. Um, so... Uh, Father David, you don't actually have a regular show, so I can't really, I can't plug your show. <laughs> no, I, I do not have a regular show. I am a, a regular guest on many shows. Uh, I guess the, the one thing uh, listeners can be on the, the watch for uh, next year, the Movies by Minutes community will be doing a group project where we'll be covering uh, the best years of our lives, one minute at a time, where uh, different hosts will take two weeks of the show, uh, so different uh, ten-minute chunks, and I'll be on for two weeks of uh, for the best minute. So that'll start uh, dropping uh, in uh, January of 2021. And Jim, I think you're you're slightly involved in that yeah, project, I, I've, aren't you? I have I have some occasional things. I've been for one way or another. I think I've been dragged into 30 minutes of that. <laughs> that, that that's the problem with being on so many shows. You said you suddenly have. Can you be my co-host? Okay, this time. So we'll we'll be uh, yeah we'll be partnering up somewhere in there. And uh, if you do need a guest, give me a holler. But oh, <laughs> too many minutes. Uh, I do I do look forward for your uh, your initial uh, hosting duties. This this should be fascinating. But that'll be at the uh, thebestminutes.com if you're typing that in your uh, in your bookmarks. Keep that ready for 2021. Uh, anyway, we will return next week. If you have uh, other questions you you'd like to talk about with this particular minute or any previous ones. Always available on social media at uh, Twitter on uh, Andromeda Minute, easy to remember, and at uh, Facebook at Project Wildfire. Uh, that's the uh, that's the Andromeda Minute group out there. Uh, if you've missed any of the previous shows, they're available on Apple Podcasts, uh, Google Play, uh, Spotify, or any of those other famous podcast catching places. Or you can find it at our big site. AndromedaMinute.com. Uh, all the previous episodes are out there. Anyway, return with us on Wednesday as we continue this discussion of weird things going on with the Bachelor Doctor. Uh, in the meantime, please uh, try to. We're try, going to try and get through this plague as fast as possible. And the best way to do that is if you do three things: stay six feet apart from people, wear a mask, and uh, what's the third one? Oh yeah, wash your hands. That always helps. Wash, wash, wash. It's, you know, just sing Happy Birthday and scrub. Uh, anyway, we will uh, see you here next time on the Andromeda Minute. Very flattering. We don't know much more than when we got here.